This is a Triple J podcast. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. Think about the weirdest job you've ever had. Blowing up balloons, taking the seeds out of olives. That's a real job. I actually did that. That was my first job, pipping olives. (laughs) So weird. What about being a crocodile bodyguard? Not protecting the crocodiles. I'm talking about people who guard scientists who are trying to work in waterways and do really important work. Later, we're taking you to the heart of the top end to meet some real characters who do this for work. Also coming up, are cars getting bigger? Not only utes, but all kinds of vehicles. If you've got a huge car, you're probably going to want to listen to this. We're talking about the environmental impact, also the safety impacts. Some people can't avoid having a big car. You need it for where you live or what you do. We'll get right into that one first, though. People out there have copies of these photos. You know, we'd urge you not to share them. This is really sensitive private stuff, and I hope that we can limit the damage because I can only imagine what those players are going through. On Triple J. Look, it's a nightmare too many people have experienced. Private, intimate pics, maybe something you've shared with a partner spreading online without your permission, doing the rounds. Well, it's happened again on a much bigger scale and it involves some of our sports stars. Dozens of current and former AFL players are dealing with this after someone anonymously dropped a whole bunch of explicit pics online. Hack. This is such, such average news for so many players and their welfare. A fake Made up, staged. Jeez, it's a huge invasion of privacy. The majority of the players we've spoken to so far are saying that's not them. It's someone grubby who hopefully very quickly gets caught. There's that societal thing about, you know, it's worse when it's a girl. It's not. It can be difficult to tell the difference between uh, real and fake imagery, particularly as we see more sophisticated AI deep fakes. It's particularly damaging and it's, it's a real concern. On Triple J. Yeah, let's get some details about what's happened. Max Lawton is a journalist with Fox Sports. He's a writer. He knows a lot about sports. He knows a lot about what's happened today. Hey, Max, thanks so much for coming on Hack. Happy to, Dave. What do we know about these leaked images? What's happened here? Yeah, so on Tuesday night, I believe the first club got word that there was a Google Drive link going around. And this had about 45 past and present players intimate photos, uh, nudes, graphics, photos, things like that. And then the clubs immediately, obviously, went to the AFL to try and investigate what's going on. And I think there's a lot of things that add to the confusion in this story. A lot of it is around the photos themselves. Some of them are real. Some of them are leaked photos that have been part of previous scandals, but a lot of them are actually fakes. I'm not sure whether they're deep fakes or just you know manually manipulated by the culprit involved, but they are not real in many cases. And then there was no element of ransom demands, no elements of a threat from the culprit. This sort of just randomly surfaced and now all of these people are having to deal with it. Yeah, it's it's a bizarre thing that's happened. I imagine the AFL's had a bit to say about it today. What have we heard from them? Yeah, so they've said there's been significant work involved in gathering the images and creating files for distribution. Uh, they said their integrity unit is investigating. That's their body that has looked into racist attacks on players online and at games in the past, as well as other stories with leaked videos, whether it was things like this or to do with drug use. Uh, And they've alerted the police in the relevant states because obviously this is a multi-state issue. We had players from many different clubs, past and present, as I mentioned, and the e-safety commission has been flagged as well. And then a few coaches have spoken about this today in their press conferences. We had Hawthorne, Sam Mitchell. He said he'd spoken to his players. None of them were actually involved in the leak but he still said it was a challenging period. 
And then West Coast, Adam Simpson, Adam Simpson rather, was really strong on this. He said he didn't want to comment on the story. He didn't want to give it oxygen, but he understood that that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, we've seen stuff like this before in terms of individual players or identities, but on such a big scale, uh, it's it's so strange. Have we heard anything else from like the Players Association or have any of uh, the players impacted come out and said anything? Yeah, so the Players Association, their union has come out and said that Google has taken down the images. I believe that happened uh, early Thursday morning. But he's still concerned about the fact that they came out in the first place, as you'd understand. Uh, and then given there were past and present players, a lot of the present players, I don't believe any of them have spoken. But uh, Jimmy Bartell, a Brownlow medalist, was on radio this morning. He said uh, a majority of the images he understood were fake, made up and staged. It's someone grubby who will hopefully get caught. And he mentioned how this is clearly a criminal matter now. And I guess, yeah, there is this big uh, push for people not to be seeking these pictures out, not to be going online searching for them. Uh, that's what the authorities are saying at this point, right, Max? Yeah, and the unfortunate thing is you always get people wanting to look because, you know, it's a, it's a car crash situation, unfortunately. But, you know, it, it's worth a reminder, don't and definitely do not share it because it's that distribution element that is the part that gets you into trouble if you are involved in this. Each state has specific laws. I know Victoria passed legislation in 2014 around sharing images without consent. Uh, so they do change around the nation, but clearly do not look for this and do not share it at, at uh, any point. So do we know what's going to happen now? The integrity unit's going to keep investigating, and uh, I suspect police will also try and find the original culprit, and they obviously have a lot of questions over how and why, which is the more puzzling thing. And then legally, I think a lot of it will come down to how many of the photos are real, how many are fakes as well. And then there would be different laws governing what the outcome is based on that. Yeah, I mean, you cover a lot of sports stories, Max. Uh, this one is uh, pretty huge. Do you expect that we're going to be hearing a lot more about this in the weeks ahead? To an extent, yeah. I, I do wonder if any of the players involved would come out and want to talk about it. I mean, there's been a media blackout on naming anyone involved on purpose because, you know, it's something that people don't need to be attached to. People don't want to see this. And the players involved were the ones who flagged it in the first place. They were raising it with their clubs and asking it to be resolved. So uh, I imagine the integrity unit will keep investigating. Sometimes these things do take time, especially when it's something as complex as this. Well, hey, we do appreciate your insight into this. Fox Sports uh, journalist, writer Max Lawton, thanks so much for coming on Hack. Thanks, Dave. We got some messages coming through on this one. Someone says, given they're unverified, I wonder if they're actually AI generated. It would also explain how they got so many photos of so many people. Well, yeah, and I mean, I guess that's what authorities are looking into and whether this is a mixture of uh, genuine photos, uh, faked photos as well. I do want to unpack this more, especially around the legalities of all of this. So Max touched on that just a second ago. But let's get into it a bit more. Asha Flynn is a criminologist. She's with Monash University and she researches image-based and AI-facilitated abuse. She's with me now. Hey, Asha, thanks so much for coming on Hack. Oh, thanks for having me, Dave. This is a really kind of upsetting, alarming case, a complete invasion of privacy. Unfortunately, as I said before, we've seen so much of this in the past, whether it is celebrities, everyday people who've experienced this. Mm -hmm. What do you make of it all? Yeah, look, this is a really high-profile example of the type of image-based abuse that we're seeing occurring more and more across Australia. So we did a study back in 2016 across Australia and around one in six people 
reported having been a victim of image-based abuse. We did that same study again across Australia, the UK and New Zealand in 2019 and found that that had increased to one in three people having experienced this. So it's not uncommon. It is something that people are starting to have to grapple with. What are the laws around distributing explicit images as a form of image-based abuse? Because, you know, it's different in different states and territories, but, like, broadly, how are they situated? Yeah, so we do have federal law that was introduced now to kind of capture image-based abuse distribution across Australia. But we do, as you said, also have different laws within the different states and territories, except for Tasmania, who have been really slow and have not yet introduced legislation to deal with this. But in Victoria, for example, both deep fakes and image-based abuse, so I guess the more old school, if you can call it that, of this type of abusive behaviour, are captured by the law. So you're not allowed to distribute non-consensually created or taken images of someone without their consent. So just to be clear, if someone, for example, got one of these pictures and then sent it on to someone else, like another one of their friends, they're committing an offence. They are technically committing an offence. There is an element of blurriness there in the sense that you may not know whether the image is consensual or not when you go on to share it. But in this case, absolutely, it would be considered an offence if you are now accessing these images and sharing them as we're all fully aware that they've been non-consensually shared in the first place. We're hearing that some of these images that have been shared are fake, they have been made with AI, you know, we don't know. Yeah. Does that change things in terms of the laws here? Like if it's not actually a real picture, it's been doctored, it's not the real person, how does that affect the law? So it is still captured in Victorian law that if it's been digitally created, it can still, even if it's a nude or sexual image, it is still captured as being non-consensually distributed. So what people are doing, even if it's deep fake or not deep fake, is still against the law. So we're, we're well placed in that sense in Victoria if this case did end up going to court. But I think one of the important things is to remember that the harms of the deep fake images are the same whether they're real or not because people are still going to see this image, they're still going to associate it with that person and sometimes if they're really high quality AI images, it's very difficult to tell whether they're fake or real. Yeah, I mean, you've been researching in this area for a long time now and looking at the impact uh, this type of abuse has on people. How damaging can it be? Yeah, it can be incredibly damaging. So it's on a scale, but we've seen, we've had victim survivors who've reported to us really high rates of mental health and psychological impacts. Um, we've also had people who've reported feeling humiliated, fear, embarrassment and shame. But I think one of the real key elements to this digital type of abuse is the omnipresence of it and the constancy that it feels, that, that victims feel. So, for example, these images that might be being circulated now, even if they get taken down, there's still this sense of, are they going to come up again? Is this going to impact my future? Are my kids going to see these images at some point? So there's those types of elements where it feels like the harms are never-ending that really impact victims in these cases. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with criminologist Asha Flynn from Monash University about this AFL, you know, explicit uh, photo scandal story that's been playing out today. All of these pictures being released online without these players' consent. 
Asha, I mean, the images were uploaded to a Google Drive folder. It's been taken down. There are worries, though, that the pics have been shared on social media. Is it really hard to get pictures removed once they start circulating? It is really difficult. I mean, we're strides ahead in Australia with the powers that the eSafety Commissioner has in that they can compel platforms to take material down within 24 hours of being notified. And that's something that's quite unique to our country. Um, but the issue is once something's up there, once something's out there, it's very difficult to stop that being circulated either privately, you know, through the dark web, through illicit online networks, um, or even just among people through text message, things like that. So there is always that element that even though they've taken them down, and it's great that that has happened relatively quickly, that there is the potential that others have already got them, downloaded them and are circulating them elsewhere. And I guess really tricky to find who could be responsible as well. Yeah, I think that's one of the most difficult elements of this is that there is so much anonymity around it, particularly when you're offending online. So it is really challenging for police, if they are given this case to investigate, to actually be able to identify who is involved, whether it's groups, whether it's individuals, uh, and to identify where they might be based. If someone has experienced this themselves, or maybe they're going through it now, Asha, like they realise they're in this horrible situation, there are pictures of them being spread without their consent, what can they do? What should they be doing? So the first thing that I would recommend doing is looking at the eSafety Commissioner website. There's a portal there where you can report if you're a victim of image-based abuse. And what they will do is take carriage of the case and try and get those images taken down, whether that's by contacting a known perpetrator that you've been able to identify, or whether that's through finding the images online and having them removed. And you can do that without having to go through police reporting or any official channels if you don't want to. So that's the first thing I'd recommend. The second is just to realise that this isn't your fault and that you shouldn't be blamed. And as much as you might be feeling some shame or fear or nervousness, apprehension around what might happen, this isn't your fault. Reach out for support. 1-800-RESPECT is a great outlet. And the other option, of course, is if you'd like to proceed through formal channels, this is a criminal offence. So police are there for you to be able to report this too. We're always talking about AI and the consequences of AI, Asha, are you expecting that in the years ahead, we're just going to see an explosion of this kind of stuff because it'll be so easy, you know, theoretically for technology to, and people to use technology to do it? Like, what have we already seen in the past few years? Yeah, absolutely. There is going to be an explosion of this. We've definitely seen over the past few years a shift in the accessibility of AI technology. So back in the day, it used to be that you had to have the high-tech computers, uh, the intellectual knowledge to be able to, to um, process these images, whereas now you can download an app and you can upload an image of anyone wearing clothes and they can digitally remove the clothing. So you've got a semi-realistic image of someone, a nude image of someone. So I think what we are going to see is as these technologies get better, we're going to be have to come up with new ways to kind of manipulate images so that they can't be uh, digitally manipulated in that way. Um, a couple of examples. So we had in 2019, an app was created that would turn any um, photo of a female into a naked photo. In 2020, we had an AI tool that was 
freely available on the messaging platform Telegram. And within six months of this being um, released, they found something like over 105,000 images of different women that had been deep faked. So we are going to see this harm increasing as technologies get more accessible. Well, hey, look, it's it's horrible stuff that we've seen already. And like you say, we're expecting, uh, you know, more of it. We'll keep people across this story. Asha Flynn from Monash University, thank you so much for coming on Hack and explaining all of that to us. Oh, thanks for having me, Dave. We've got some messages coming through. Someone says, yeah, deep fakes, AI, out of the bag. Once again, governments have let industry self-regulate. Another person says... Hard to take down. It's impossible to take down once it's been uploaded online. That was from Josh in Brizzy. And another person says, not taking away from how disgusting this is, but you have to notice how over the top the reaction is when it happens to men as opposed to women. That was from Tom in Wollongong. Hey, you know, important observation there, Tom. I guess the scale of this as well, people are pretty blown away by, but it's definitely a story we'll keep you across. Hack. Why are people so infatuated with these mega youths? On Triple Jack. You know, growing up in the country, big utes were always like part of my life. I'd see them everywhere. My dad had one, my big brother had one. And it was always really weird as well when I was a kid and we'd go to the city because people would kind of look at us funny because we had this big vehicle that looked so different to all the other really small cars everyone else was getting around in. But is it just me or are cars now just massive? (laughs) Utes, SUVs, everything. A lot of people on the text line already messaging in about this saying, it's the American influence. Yes, it's happening. Do you own one of these really huge cars? And if so, do you need it for work? Do you live in a remote area? If you live in the city or in a town, what's your reasoning there? Why do you have one? Message in, let me know, 0439757555. Do you have it for the look? You think it looks really cool? Do you have it because you need the room? Or do you think it's safer? Because if that's the case, that might actually not stack up. We're going to get into that a bit more now. Obviously, this trend is also not great news for the environment either. Joe Lauder's been looking into it. You don't need to hang out next to a road like I'm doing right now to realise Australian cars are getting bigger. Most of the cars driving past me right now are soccer mum cars or small SUVs. A decade ago, hatchbacks and sedans were the most popular type but that's not really the case anymore. Passenger vehicles, as we, we know them, like uh, your Toyota Camrys or Corollas, um, they're down to about 16% of the market. That's Peter Griffin from the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries. And in the early 2000s, we saw the introduction of these SUVs, sports utility vehicles, and also with the light commercials that previously were really just a workhorse vehicle, they became more sophisticated. Light commercial covers utes, by the way. But the king of the road is a sports utility vehicle known as the SUV. If we go back to 2013, SUVs, sports utility vehicles and light commercials, so think like the Ute, Ford Ranger and uh, Hilux, uh, they made up uh, about 36% of our market of new, new car sales. And as of yesterday, SUVs and light commercials make up 78% of new vehicles sold. These cars are bigger, much bigger than the cars that were popular a decade ago. And there are lots of reasons why people buy them. They fit a lot of stuff in them. They're higher up, so they're easy to get in and out of. A lot of drivers say they feel safer because they can see better. And they're popular with people living in regional areas where they're better on rough roads. 
Although when we look at the cars that under 25 year olds own, only 10% are SUVs. But there's a problem with the rise of SUVs and mega trucks. You can probably guess what it is. So heavier cars generally use more petrol and the amount of petrol that gets used is a big factor in the emissions that are produced. That's Jennifer Rayner from the Climate Council. So if you're switching from driving a smaller sedan to a bigger SUV or a large ute, for example, that not only tends to mean a big increase in your fuel bills, but also a big increase in your emissions footprint. This isn't just happening in Australia either. SUVs are becoming more popular all around the world. Last year, the climate group Tire Extinguishers started targeting them to make a point. Setting off to disable every 4x4 or SUV they can find. Tires left to deflate, a notice explaining why tucked into the windscreen. The International Energy Agency is also worried. They reported last year that oil consumption by SUVs went up by 500,000 barrels a day and that the shift to heavier cars has pretty much wiped out the climate gains from the increasing sales of electric vehicles. It's the same story here in Australia. Transport emissions are going up and are expected to take the top spot from the energy sector in a couple of years. Energy is going down because of the positive move to renewable energy. EVs are getting more popular here, but Jennifer says Australian cars are still really dirty. Australian cars use significantly more fuel and therefore produce significantly more emissions than comparison countries like in Europe or the US. One of the reasons for that is we don't have any restrictions on the amount of emissions that our cars can produce. This could be changing. The federal government has announced plans to introduce what's known as fuel efficiency standards. There's another issue with bigger cars. My name's Associate Professor David Logan I'm from the Monash University Accident Research Centre, and you can call me David. David says the idea that you're safer in these cars isn't even accurate. They're not actually um, any safer than, than a, a, a passenger car or a smaller vehicle of the same sort of age, because one of the disadvantages of all classes of SUV in utility is they roll over more easily. Bigger cars are heavier and they sit a lot higher. So David says they cause more damage in crashes with smaller cars. The front of the larger car is very high and it's high and it's usually quite square and, and flat. And when that hits the door of the car that you're in, if you're in the smaller car, you're much more likely to get head contact with the bonnet or the front of that um, incoming car. It's even worse for pedestrians and cyclists. When a, a large vehicle like an SUV or a ute hits a pedestrian, the pedestrian has a much more severe crash too. They're much more likely to, um, to hit their head on the front of the car rather than on the bonnet. So while SUVs are dominating now, that might not always be the case as people move to electric vehicles. Peter says the market could easily shift again. The trend is there, but tastes change as we had the shift in the early 2000s from passenger cars and station wagons into SUVs. As electrified vehicles become more available in the market in different kinds of segments, it's quite likely we're going to see a shift and people might think, hey, I don't need that SUV. Now I, there's an electric option available for me. Hack Triple J. Joe Lauder with that story. So many messages coming through on this one. Someone says, I drive for Uber, do a lot of Ks each week. I find that people in big four-wheel drives are the most aggressive drivers, most likely to be aggressive. 
Both of them that I've seen were pea platers in V8. They seem reckless. That was from Andrew. Okay. Someone else says, I have a big car. Never thought I'd be the kind, but after moving to my shack in the middle of the bush, my big car is the only thing that can get me to and from work. I need a sturdy four-wheel drive that can protect me. That was from Ree on Wanarua land. Another person says, I moved from the city to a country town. I traded a tiny hatchback for a seven-seater SUV. For me, it was a safety thing. Kangaroos are everywhere. And another person says, my yoga instructor who lives in inner city Geelong drives a big American V8 ute. She says she just likes to be higher up than other people. Oh. Lots of different opinions on that one. Hack. He's got a lot of jaw pressure, which would just kill you in an instant. On Triple Jack. Hey, we're taking you on a bit of a trip now. We're going to go right into the heart of the beautiful Northern Territory to meet some really cool people, including someone who might have the most dangerous job in Australia. Miles Holbrook Walk's been out bush with him in the Northern Territory to understand why he puts himself in danger and why it's actually really important for the environment. When you're going to work, what do you take with you? Phone, check. Water bottle, maybe. Silver pistol that looks like something out of a Hollywood movie. But if we're in the water, it's just a close combat. Boom, 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 I get 10 shots. Meet Roger Matthews, a crocodile hunter and catcher who goes to work with two essential tools, a pistol and as he cocks his rifle, he tells me... This is our insurance policy for Buffalo. Wouldn't like to be without it out here. OK, OK, you're probably after more information about what his job actually is. Well, put simply, he's sort of a bodyguard for scientists, protecting them from crocodiles, buffalo and anything else that might kill them. Basically, to make sure that they get in, do what they got to do, and they get to go home each night as well. He's showing me how he does this incredibly dangerous work as he walks along the sandy banks of the McKinlay River. It's a really remote place, about two hours south of Darwin. It's a beautiful part of the river here. It's lovely. It's um, probably a little bit murky in that pool there, though, Rog. That's very murky in the pool. There's a good chance there's something in the water there, for sure. It's heard us coming in and spun around to have a look, I'm not sure, but we'll just keep our distance. The scientist he's looking out for is Tara Steele, who works for gold and rare metals mining companies operating in the Northern Territory. Her job is to look at how the water that flows out of mines impacts rivers nearby. One way to learn about this is to see what happens to these tiny bugs that live in the rivers. These bugs are called macroinvertebrates. Can be dragonflies, beetles, uh, water skaters, shrimp, crabs. The composition of those macroinvertebrates tells us a lot about the health of an ecosystem based off the conditions that are at the site. Tara takes care of the science, Roger takes care of the croc, and there we have an unlikely partnership of a wise crocodile hunter and an aquaecologist who's doing her best to keep the country up here as healthy as it can be. And this work has to happen. We have to get here. We have to look at what is going on with the aquatic ecosystems in these areas. I'm extremely passionate about making sure that we look after this stuff. But it's not easy work. In fact, she reckons it is the most hazardous job she's ever undertaken. It is a dangerous place to work. It's more dangerous if you don't understand 
the risks and you don't sort of control for them. Roger's relationship with crocodiles is a little bit complicated. Even though I, I have to kill some, I, I do love crocodiles. But they may not love Roger. He's been injured many times. There's an old saying, you work with crocodiles long enough, eventually you are going to get bit. Roger's casual about it, but he takes the work seriously. He lost one mate to a crocodile attack years ago, and it reminds him of how badly things can go wrong. Yeah, a good friend of mine, Graham, was killed in North Queensland on the croc farm. Horrible day, but unfortunately doing the wrong thing. It's not just on the rivers where Roger is dealing with crocodiles. I visited his home a few weeks after the expedition where he had another job brewing. Alrighty, what we got here is 4.54 metres of saltwater crocodile. And where this crocodile was caught is in an area where whatever gets caught has to be removed. And whatever gets removed in the Northern Territory, there's got to be euthanized. We're going to utilize literally so much of this crocodile that his death won't be in vain. Roger sells the skin, skulls and bones in the legs, but there's still more to be used. The meat will eventually be sold in the pet meat. Intestines and all the yucky bits in there go into a hole in the ground and we plant a tree. As he works away on this crocodile, it's hard not to think a lot of this is really gruesome, but it's the way the NT government has set up the rules here to keep people safe from crocs. And as Tara says, without wildlife bodyguards like Roger, there's environmental work that just couldn't happen. There has to be scientific work happening alongside these mines. And in order to do that, we have to get in water that's got buffaloes and crocs in it. It's this strange thing to witness, the balancing of ecosystems, humans, crocodiles and industry's impact on all of them. And up here, that balancing act is kind of held together by Roger and his silver pistol. Hack on Triple J. Miles Holbrook-Walk reporting there from Darwin. We love it when Miles gets out and about, meets all those interesting characters. So many jobs that you never think of, right? Hey, we still got a lot of messages coming through about the big cars story. People got their opinions. Someone says, I can't filter down the car lanes on my motorbike anymore because of all these giant things clogging up the entire lane. Another person, I drive a big ute for work. I find myself looking forward to the weekend when I can drive my smaller hatch. And someone else, I work with a car hire company. We've spent millions on vehicles waiting for them to get to our shores. The only cars that seem to be available at the moment are bigger ones. And someone else, just quickly remember, big tax incentives for larger vehicles. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple Jack.